following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Our Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would guide me as I share some of these thoughts. May we know the difference between what is of you and what is of, of human beings. May you speak to us, Lord. We thank you for how much you love us and what you want to do in our lives, what you have done, are doing, and will be doing. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as uh, most of you know, we've been going through a series which I've called Heavenly People, uh, dealing with what it means that we've been given the power of the resurrection, that there is a reality of God that is at work in us because of what Jesus has done for us. And if we are his people by putting our, our trust in him, then he has poured out upon us so much of himself. And the scripture talks about this in a, in a variety of ways. And we're looking at a particular section in the Gospel of John. Last week, we looked at John chapter 17, this great prayer of Jesus where he prays that we would be one. And I sought to explain that that oneness primarily has to do with our unity with God and not so much our, our unity with one another. That's important. That's important too. Uh, and But that's not really what he's praying about there. What he's praying there is that the, the union that the Son enjoys with the Father would be granted to Jesus' people that we would be united with him and the Father. So I want to go back a few chapters. Remember, there are no actual chapters in the original. The chapter breaks were put in later. And this is a section that's normally called the Upper Room Discourse because that's where they were celebrating Jesus' last Passover Seder, the special meal commemorating the Exodus from Egypt. And um, this, so this is where they were celebrating that. It's kind of interesting, and, and it kind of goes along with some of what I'll be sharing with you. So chapters 4, 5, 14, 15, and 16 are called the Upper Room Discourse, but at the end of chapter 14, he says, let's go. Let's go somewhere else. And so th- this is probably spoken, in chapter 15, that uh, was just read for us, was most likely spoken to the disciples as they left the upper room and they were on their way to the garden at Gethsemane where Jesus would be praying an agonizing prayer to his father and eventually be arrested. And so as they're walking, he's teaching them as he would do so often. And it's possible that they were passing by a vineyard on the way, which led to what uh, he speaks about here. And we're going to look particularly at verses 1 through 11. The whole chapter was just read for us. We're we're looking at verses 1 through 11. So he starts off by saying in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. 
vine dresser is you know the the carer of the vineyard this term the true vine it's most likely his disciples would understand right away that he's making an allusion to the various passages in the old testament that refers to israel as god's vine um it's in it's some of those some of those passages have a, a very negative um critical tone to them how israel as a nation has not been fruitful has not been productive in a godly way in the way that god desired us to be i use us because me and my family are part of uh natural israel and our sins are documented for the whole world to see in, in in the scriptures and sadly that's been often used against us instead of understanding that we were chosen by god through whom uh, all the world will be blessed and whether we cooperated with him or did not cooperate with him uh, he would fulfill that and our failings were to be a mirror of everybody's lives so we were chosen among all the nations to be an example to everyone we weren't chosen because we were worse than anyone else or better than anyone else we were actually just like everyone else and so instead of god proving to uh, human beings our need of him by by making an example of everybody he made an example of one nation and so here he says i am the true vine now some people then think that well they think rightly there's a sense in which jesus is the true israel that which god desired for the nation of israel to be and when i say the nation of israel i'm not talking about the state of israel we're talking about the jewish what we call the jewish people today when he says i'm the true vine it's as if uh, so israel completely failed and did not live up to what we were supposed to be which is true and 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 jesus stands as a replacement for israel and biblically speaking i do not think that is correct in the same way that when goliath was taunting israel and the and king saul and his army were terrified of him and would not take up his challenge they were not behaving as israel should behave and then david comes and he sees what's going on and he takes a stand in faith and not only defeats goliath acting in the way god's people are supposed to act his victory then gives courage to the rest of the army and then they're able to fight the battle in the way that god had called them to and so jesus stands as and we know he's the great son of david and he stands uh, as the one who lives up to what god always wanted israel to be what god always wanted human beings to be and he leads the charge and he shows us what it means to be a true follower of god and of course he's working with a group of of israelites who he's training to be the bridge of god's blessing to the rest of the world so he's teaching them how to live like israel israelites should live 
His statement is the last of the great I am statements when he says, I am the true vine in, in here. Uh, as you know, throughout the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, uh, I am the door, and so on. And there's so much in John that focuses in on Jesus. But one of the things I've been emphasizing before this series and during this series especially is that what Jesus did for us is not simply for us to stand back and applaud but he's calling us to enter into what he has done, that we too could live the life that he lived. When he died for our sins, it was not just for us to receive a gift, but those gifts are the tools that we've been, we've been graciously given to then go and do God's will and God's work in the world, fulfilling the mission that Jesus started. And here in these chapters, 14, 15, 16, culminating with his prayer in 17, and these grand teachings and preparing not only them, but us, as we saw last time in the prayer, how he was praying for all of us who would believe in his name. That's us. He was training us, preparing us how to continue to do the things that he was doing. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So he starts by talking about himself as the vine, and we are the branches, and the Father is the one who's tending the vine. And he speaks about those who abide in the vine and those who do not abide in the vine, those who bear fruit and those who do not bear fruit. Now there's a bit of a confusion in the English in verse 2 where it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Um, Almost every single English translation translates this this way, that he takes away the branches that, that are in him but don't bear fruit. Um, some even translate it as cuts off. But there's something strange going on here. And as I've researched this, I've found it actually quite disturbing. The Greek word translated here as takes away is the Greek word iro. And iro mainly means to raise up. Sometimes it means to remove, but it appears it's removed by moving by raising it up. So the word can simply mean raise up as opposed to take away. The reason why this is important is because if if it's take away, it, it's, it's, there's a bit of a problem here because we have a branch in Jesus who's the true vine that's not being productive and so th- what the vine dresser, the father does is according to these translations is remove it. But it really doesn't make sense. We're going to see about branches that are removed in a few moments. They're the ones that don't abide. But the ones who are in him, that aren't living in the way that we're designed to live as people in him, what really happens? Well, if we understand this as raise up, then what happens is, is those of us that are not living the life of faith, 
that on one hand, the faith is real, but we're not being productive. And we looked at that a little bit last time. There's so many passages. Believers are the ones who might grieve the Holy Spirit. Believers are the ones that might quench the Holy Spirit. Believers are the ones that may not actually deal with the life, uh, the old life. We may not clothe ourselves with new life in the way that we should, thinking that, well, I came to the Lord, I had an experience, or I've been baptized, and then God's supposed to do everything else, and I just sit back and he does whatever he does. Now, of course, if these translations are correct, that if you and I are, be, are, are living a fruitless life and yet claim faith, we're done for. The good news, I don't think that's what he's saying here. What's really happening is, what, or what he's really saying here, is that if we are not living the kind of quality of life, productive life, whatever that means. You know, some people, they have a hard time with being, you know, you, 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 we can never be productive enough. And other people, you know, I accomplish a couple of things and I'm good. The, the real thing is, what is God calling us to do? What is God calling us to be? What's the kind of productivity that he wants? But we'll, we'll deal with that another time. He calls us to be productive. But if and we're not, what happens? The Father works on us. There, one image that I, I, I saw in my research is the idea that at times there can be these branches that are lying along the ground and they get dirty, especially over uh, the winter months. And then the vine dresser comes and he cleans them off and raises them up towards the sun. And if when we truly know the Lord and if we're not living as we should, God takes us and he cleans us off and he raises us up that we might be truly fruitful. God works in the lives of those who are his children. If we are his children, God is active. This is last time I mentioned that because of Jesus' prayer of of, of asking the Father to make us one with him uh, and the Father answers the prayers of his Son, that means when believers do not live as believers should, that causes great problems for us that are worse than for the non-believer living a life of a non-believer. God knows who are his and, and, and he disciplines those whom he loves. And there's two ways he does this. So if we are not living the way that we should, he comes and he deals with us and he deals with us in love and raises us up that we would be in a better place to receive the nourishment that we need that we might be fruitful. And then every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, cuts it back. And this could be a, a reference to being disciplined by the Lord, which is not, you know, I'm in trouble and so he punishes me, but it's the discipline of a coach, the discipline of a military leader, a discipline of a parent who loves his child, that you're doing well, but you really need to be doing better. I'm not mad at you. I love you. And so um, I, I add pressure into your life so that you will grow. And so God brings all sorts of pressures into our lives so that we would grow and be more fruitful. And that's that's making us all that we should be. Verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. This again is this idea of what happens with these, these vines along the ground. He cleans them off and he's saying to his disciples, You are clean. Now this does not apply to Judas, who's likely already gone. 
Judas is an excellent illustration here of somebody who does not abide in the vine. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now this word abide sounds really fancy, it sounds very spiritual. It simply means to stay. Stay in me. Don't go do things on your own. Listen to me. Hear, you know, hear what I'm saying. Seek me. Stay within the confines of what I say is good and right. Don't go astray. Stay in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you stay, you and I stay in Jesus. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything at all, which is the essence of what he's saying here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's one of the most difficult things for us is to accept that on our own we are useless, but in Jesus we are we are useful. I know people appear to there's some people they seem to achieve great things. Uh, they've got great talents. They've got I, but I it grieves me sometimes when I see people who are extremely talented but they're doing their own thing in their own way and the waste the waste that that is. One of the things I grieve is um, I mentioned my family where we are uh, natural uh, Israelites so to speak being Jewish. Our, our, our parents, grandparents, and so on, were descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in particular, I'm descended from the tribe of Levi, Levi, the priestly clan. Robin's family comes from the priests themselves, the Kohanim, where the uh, last name Cohen comes from. And I, my own family, I've, I've seen the passion of, of my of my brothers, my father, their uh the passion, the talents that they that they had or have, and to see how wasted they are because they haven't been laid at the feet of our God, and then then honed by Him and used by Him. So you know we look at people that are seem to be fruitful, but they've been actually fruitless because the the fruit that they've been bearing is not the fruit that comes from the the root of God and godliness. Yet there's other people who so love the Lord and 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 we might look at them and to us it doesn't look like they've achieved much in life, but God knows, God knows the fruit that they have borne because they have abided in him. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. These are the ones that are in big, big trouble. If we are not abiding in him, I know people do all sorts of theological things that you know if i if somebody really knows the lord they're always going to really know the lord and frankly i don't really know how that works and i'm uncomfortable with some of the theological things that people say it's very clear whatever your past is if you are not if you do not abide in jesus if he really isn't your lord and master really 
I know you might we we could ignore him, but somehow you know of that deep connection that you have with him, and you know that when you're ignoring him, you're ignoring him. But if he means nothing to you, if you've never really come to know him, then you you're not abiding in him. You never were, you're not. And all the pretending in the world is not going to make things better. We need to be connected to the vine. And we connect to him through faith, by trusting in him, by confessing our sins, admitting what we're like and what we've done, and and, and saying, God, that was wrong. Forgive me. Please make me yours. If we have never done that, anyone who's never done that, cannot acclaim, cannot claim to be abiding. Because those, no matter, you could sing the songs and pray the prayers and go to the meetings, but if you are not in Him, then you're in big trouble. But the good news is you don't have to be in big trouble. You could turn to Him today and begin to abide in Him. He says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This could sound too good to be true. If we're truly abiding in him and his words abide in us, it sounds as if we could ask whatever we want. That's what he says. And it'll happen. It almost sounds like the Midas touch. Everything he turned changed to gold. And is that how our prayers are supposed to be? Well, the key here is that if we're truly abiding in him, and if his words are truly abiding in us, then if, then we're going to be asking the things that are the things that please him, and that will bear the true kind of fruit that that he wants in our lives. Once we've made that true connection, there's a, a powerful freedom which is ours in him. Verse eight: By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We don't become his disciples by trying to bear godly fruit. Those who, rather, those who abide in him show forth the proof of truly being his followers. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Well, how do we abide in his love? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. A lot of people think, oh, they think, is this legalism? Is this, now we've got a list of do's and don'ts? What's that all about? I thought we we know God, we are saved by our faith. It's absolutely true. But a person who truly trusts in God desires to hear his word and walk according to it. That's why I like, I like to use the word directives instead of commandments. It's God's directions. That's what others have you've heard me teach on Torah. Torah, we usually call it God's law, which sounds cold, but it's actually his teaching, his directions. It's God saying, here's the way of life, walk in it. And this is what he's saying here. If you walk in the ways of of my Father, then you will be abiding in my love. That's the key to staying. It's hearing God and obeying him. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, it's when we we are pulling away from God, when we're doing our own thing, that we become miserable. 
Some of us don't even know that we're miserable because we become so dud out. We might be busy. We might be distracted. But there is a happiness. And I've explained this before, that the word for joy really means this effervescent happiness, a bounce in the step, at least a bounce in the heart that is ours when we know that we're truly walking with him, we're hearing what God is saying, we're doing what God is doing, not perfectly, of course, not never perfectly. We're not going to be able to do it perfectly, but we can do it. And when we're there, then we could have that assurance that God is truly with us and we're truly with God and we are one in him. And so, in closing, we need to be intentional in our lives with God. It doesn't happen by itself. We need to stay. We need to abide. And I don't know how many of you have seen the email that I sent out about this Set Free Summit coming up and this thing called Church Renewal. I'm not going to take a lot of time here. But um, next month, we have an opportunity to go to a retreat online in our own homes, and yet take a a time away, in a sense, to focus on reconnecting with God in a fresh way. And I've encouraged uh, our, our congregation to view this video that introduces this thing called church renewal that our count, most of our council members have seen and are quite enthusiastic about what we, the potential of what we will experience next month together if, if we would do this and, and, and hear some practical ways that we can powerfully reconnect with God and learn to be, um, learn what it means to truly abide with him. And interestingly, um, one of the first steps after this set free retreat is a small group uh, series, um, a series designed for small groups, and it's called the Abide Series. And it's learning to uh, hear God and to obey Him, which is what we so desperately need. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders. May we abide in you. May we be people who have are, have, are staying with you. May those who have never found themselves in you, may this be uh, a, a day to mark on the calendar forever of, of, a, of a rebirth spiritually. That there is a life of joy in you, which is ours, if we would be connected to you in the way that we were designed to be. And Lord, for those of us that um, are not bearing fruit, though we know you, do what you need to do in our lives that we would bear fruit. And if anyone is going through a pruning time, they love you so much and have served you with their whole heart and yet life seems to have become harder than ever, would you please encourage that precious child of yours that they might know that you are present with them at this time. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.